Welcome in to the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and today we are joined by a very special guest. It is PD Webb making his third appearance on this podcast. Alex, I said it on Twitter, I'll say it again here. Every time PD comes on, I learn I learn a little bit more about the game of basketball, about player development, and in this case, I learned a little bit more about one Emmanuel quickly. Yeah, we talk about quite a bit in this episode with PD about IQ. That's a good uh, name for the episode, PD on IQ. Uh, so, so we talk about uh, IQ's development so far this year, uh, what PD missed during the draft process on quickly, things of that nature, You know, things that he can improve on, things that are going to be the swing skills for him in his career, whether Tibbs is using him properly, whether starting is going to be important for his development, just all kinds of great topics to get into so i won't hold things up any longer next up on locked on nicks we'll be in here with pd webb on emmanuel quickly you are locked on nicks your daily new york nicks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day and i think we see willis coming out there he comes right now you are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster in non-pandemic times, a full-time podcaster during this global apocalypse, and I'm joined by Alex Wolf, as always, the editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the best Knicks website out there. And we have uh, one of one of my all-time favorite guests making his third appearance on the podcast. Uh, started this summer with a great breakdown of Patrick Williams. Anyone who read his article on the Strickland and Patrick Williams and listened to him on the podcast talking about Patrick Williams knows that he's right on the nose with that one. It's PD Webb at above the break three on Twitter. That's number three, not spelled out. Uh, you can follow him there and you can check out all of his work on Patreon and a bunch of podcasts over the course of the internet. This is very generous with his time. PD, welcome to the show. How's it going? Welcome. Uh, my, I guess, adopted fan base. Uh, since I feel like I spend more time talking about the Knicks than almost anything else. Uh, <laughs> excited to be here. I, I like that you you put in like some Knicks fans like specific like caveats in, in your article about Emmanuel Quickly that we're we're here to talk about. And you were like Knicks fans, like I know I understand the the impulse to uh, to skip steps. And you had you had a great uh, concluding sentence on the Quickly piece that said skipping steps is a thief of joy. I agree with that, especially because the Knicks have been doing have been skipping steps for the last two decades now, and it has certainly robbed me of a lot of joy. So I'm right right on the same page with you there. Um, where I wanted to start off today on this one with quickly was uh, going all the way back to like when they drafted him. And I remember we had you on the podcast before the season, and I, I was I was talking to you about it, and I was like, I don't I don't really know how to feel about this pick because on one hand you would figure, and I said this on draft night. The Knicks would would know what they're getting in quickly more than any other team. Obviously, would have Kenny Payne on the staff, like the myriad of Kentucky connections um, established throughout the front office. Like they they should have a pretty good idea. 
But obviously at the time it was looked at as like an overdraft. And then you had Obi being a CAA guy, quickly being a CAA guy. And it just kind of like, it, it like you reeked a little bit. You're like, all right, what, what, what are we really doing here? And obviously it's worked out really, really well. So I, I guess this is probably an impossible question to answer, but a good place to start because we can just make them easier from here. Um, do you think that that pick portends anything good about the Knicks front office? Or, or do you think it was maybe just a case of saying, we know this guy really well, just because it seemed like they were finally prioritizing shooting and, and creation in a way that previous front offices really haven't. Yeah, I think there is some overlap on the Venn diagram between um, doing what you know best and uh, and there being some favoritism. Um, I think that quickly is always going to be an insane hard worker. He has skills that are extremely valuable um, in in the modern NBA. But at the same time, in the conjunction of the other moves, uh, if we also add the Rose deal in there, there are elements that should be somewhat worrying. Um, but I have a lot of faith in the developmental staff that the Knicks have put together. Yeah, do you think like, you know, you even wrote in your piece, like it, it just kind of, you know, at first everybody was like, eh, this is this is a bit much, you know, to go for him. But do you think that the... I, I don't know. This is this is another kind of like weirdly sort of loaded question, I guess. But do you think it's an advantage the fact that the Knicks just added probably the top assistant that was at Kentucky, which is probably, I mean, maybe short of Duke, if you want to make the argument, but probably the top prospect farm in all of college basketball to now sort of have an inside pipeline on not just the the marquee guys, you know, not just the Anthony Davises of the world or whatever, but also the, you know, guys that sort of get masked by that system, like the, the Quickleys of the world, the Devin Bookers to a degree of the world. Um, do you think it's going to be an advantage to the Knicks going forward to have that sort of connection in there for those guys that just sort of like, I guess, I guess you could call Quickly sort of a late bloomer? In a yeah. way, or maybe just a guy who was miscategorized in college. I, I don't know exactly what you would call it, but th- it seems like an advantage to be able to have more than just the college film scouting report on those guys. The more information is always better. Um, yeah. With Kenny Payne specifically, it's important to note that all of that stuff is uh, an ancillary benefit to his day-to-day skills. Um, he is the primary big development guy, I would say, um, around the country for, for guys in that 19 to 22 category. Um, and that's why he's here. Yes, he does have connections to Kentucky. Uh, yes, uh, it's always good to have as much insight as possible into, into prospects, you know, going back to them being 15 years old and, and seeing them for the first time. But Kenny Payne's here because Kenny Payne's really good at, at development. Um, it helps to know why quickly got a lot better as a sophomore. Um, it helps to know his habits and to know that he is the sort of young guy that you want, the guy that you kind of have to install a security guard to keep him out of the gym um, or else he will log three, four sessions a day. Um, that helps because that's something you're going to bet on him getting better at his weaknesses because he's a worker like that. Um, and separating the guys who have reputations for being workers from guys who are really just psycho about basketball. Um, but I think that my bigger issue with the draft day is, is Obi Toppin. Um, we're not going to talk about him too much today, but if they had just drafted quickly and somebody else with the first pick, I would have you know, said this is a fantastic process. And and that insight into why quickly uh, bloomed late would have been, would have seemed prescient. 
but because there was a CAA connection on the first pick and that it has not worked ideally, which some people could have foreseen based on the schematic and, and lineup fits. Um, and Tibbs is a dislike of young guys who struggle on defense. Uh, yeah, that puts some damper on it. This Vassell would have been really cool. I'll say that and we can, we can move on from there. Um, how, how do you think Tom Thibodeau has, has used quickly so far? Because you get into that in your article and that's to me, at least that was maybe the most interesting part of it because that's, that's the part of the game. I know at least for me, like I have a, a bad, I, I, I can't do a great job of, of fully comprehending and saying, all right, I, I kind of like when when they throw him in, in this set. And I like, oh, I, I like that he took that shot. Like, oh, it looks like they ran a little play for him. But I can't really get into the details of that. You can. Do you think Tibbs, just in terms of both the, the sets they've run when he's in and the types of lineups that they've played him with, do you think they're optimizing Emmanuel quickly right now? Or is he just sort of coasting off his ability and there's a way to even further leverage his shooting and, and secondary playmaking? All right, we're going to take our first break. But first, I got to let you all know today's episode is brought to you by Theragun. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or some regular Joe like me, just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help you out with that. And, you know, I could tell you, I have used Theragun and I love it. You know, I, I try to stay active. I try to go to the gym, work out. You know, uh, I do a lot of weight routines, you know, and stuff. I, you know, I'll work my whole upper body one day or something or, you know, sometimes even just do a full body workout. And that could be a lot. You know, you work your biceps, your triceps, your chest, your abs, everything. And it really helps after a workout to just turn on the Theragun and just use it on my tired muscles helps stimulate blood flow to them really helps me recover better. It's a fantastic product that I can't recommend enough. Uh, Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The gen four Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by relieving tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or an injury or just the stress of everyday life, there's no substitute for Theragun Gen 4. I could say some days, I even just use it from sitting around too much. You know, sometimes you sit, uh, I'll choose to work on the couch some days or something. And, you know, I, I realize after a while that I feel kind of stiff because of that. Just take out the Theragun Hit your, you know, stiff body with that and you'll be loosened right up and ready to go about with the rest of your day. On top of it, the OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of thousands of customers, including me. So if you want to try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199, go to theragun.com slash locked on right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on, theragun.com slash locked on. And today's episode is also brought to you by Rock Auto. I'm sure you've heard about Rock Auto from me by now, but let me tell you again, if you are trying to do some work on your car 
and want a stress-free way of getting parts delivered right to your door, you cannot find anywhere better than rockauto.com. You've probably been through that whole scenario of trying to go to the auto parts store, trying to get a part for your car, and trying to do it efficiently. And all three of those things that I just said are basically impossible to do in a single day at one of those stores. You inevitably go in, they ask you a bunch of questions, you try to tell them that you just need one part and they try to upsell you on some other part too. And then ultimately you say, look, man, do you have the part that I need for my Subaru Forester 2009? And they go, no, I don't. Uh, of course I don't. Look at how small this store is. Like, let me order it for you though. It'll be here in half a week and you could come back to the store and pick it up. And then you finally come back there and, you know, drag yourself to the store again, miss the day that you wanted to work on your car over the weekend come back, get your part. And then you look at the bill and you go, wow, this is really expensive. I definitely could have just gone to the mechanic and probably have my car back and fixed by now. All that goes out the window with rockauto.com. You don't have to deal with the hassle of dealing with the people behind the counter, trying to upsell you on things. You don't have to deal with waiting too long for your parts that you need. You don't have to deal with the huge sticker shock that you get when you get your part because rockauto.com is easy to sort through. It's, it gives you a really easy list to find your make of car, then your model of car, give it the year and the trim package, and you'll be all set, able to sort through an easy list just for you. And then on top of it, they have great selection. They have multiples of different parts for you to choose from based off you know what you need for your car. You know, In my case, I was looking at like a hitch package at one point, and I could have gotten one that had you know more towing capacity, less towing capacity bigger hitch receiver, smaller hitch receiver, you name it. Uh, there was all kinds of different options out there for me. So the best part, honestly, though, is the fact that once you get it, it doesn't cost you that much money. They Rockauto.com gives you the bottom dollar price no matter what. And they're a family business. So if there's something wrong with your order, they're going to look to make sure that you're happy with it and want to come back again whenever you need another auto part. So if you're interested in checking out what rockauto.com has for your car or truck today, head there. Again, the, the URL is rockauto.com. And if you decide to pick up a part, write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And that's it for our ad break. Hey, look, it's just, just a couple live reads right now. So uh, we're going to be right back in with PD Webb, but we're covering everything you know about the Knicks and Emmanuel quickly, specifically in this episode. But what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On po Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. And now we get back into our discussion about Emmanuel quickly with PD Webb. So I would say Tibbs gets like a C plus B minus. Um, he puts the ball in quickly's hands a lot, which is a thing that head uh, coaches are loath to do with rookies. Um, Quickly's book coming out was that he can do a lot of creation things, but you don't necessarily want him doing them a lot versus a set defense. And my worry with Tibbs. Uh, that has been confirmed is that he throws it out in lineups where quickly is asked to break down a set defense. Um, and that leads to the floater Palooza, uh, which is a really satisfying tool and something that works well against drop. 
but it allows defenses to key in on it and just say, this is the only shot that's going to really be taken for the next two minutes unless we mess up a rotation. Um, quickly, two most used lineups uh, using NBA.com's uh, lineup data. I, I use four-man because it, it's a little noisier. Um, are quickly Gibson, Burks, Toppin, and quickly Rivers, Noel, Knox. And in those lineups, there's almost no secondary creation or primary creation to, for quickly to beat off of. And those lineups are generally not good. Um, he has 90 minutes at both. Um, I think that asking quickly to do too much uh, and not creating schematic advantage, whether it's through using him as a screener for Randall to, to fly out in space, um, using him in some of the Spain sets that, that tips has. There are moments where like the best version of quickly emerges, but there are often a lot of times where it's double high or double stagger and he has to make a read against the defense. It's just like, take the floater. We don't care. Um, and that's led to a lot of the idea of inconsistency. Um, I don't necessarily think that that's more than just him being a rookie. It's that he's been being put in a situation where if the floater goes, he's consistent. If it doesn't go, he's inconsistent. Um, and by scheming more towards his, uh, his his gifts and away from his weaknesses, both through lineups and through play calls, is going to be important going forward. So, on that note, you know, you were just sort of talking about some of the stuff that he that Tibbs hasn't been doing quite as well. Um, what do you think are going to be some of the the keys for the rest of the season? I guess, you know, as far as adjusting how quickly is used, and I mean, I know that this is extremely extremely recent, but you know, there's a little discussion going on uh, before the pod about sort of how Frank Nilakina works as a foil to him versus Derek Rose, um, you know, which Nilakina, you know, puts a little more of the onus, I think, on quickly to be the guy handling the ball most of the time, whereas Rose, you know, turns quickly more into an off-ball player, um, but still gives him some opportunities at their best to sort of go 50-50 with handling the ball. Um, what do you think would be, I guess, on the Knicks roster right now, if you were trying to pick an ideal backcourt partner to maximize quickly for the rest of the year and sort of see him through the development of his first year and start, you know, pushing him towards his, his second year, which we see with a lot of players that, you know, rookie to sophomore summer can be really important. And, you know, their second year is often a, a year when you see a pretty big leap. Uh, and a lot of times that has to do with how they were utilized in their first year. You know, what What do you think would be sort of the ideal arrangement for quickly the rest of the year and, and sort of an ideal backcourt partner for him? Uh, if he, you know, for, I would say the majority of his minutes. I think that it's important that quickly rotates between backcourt duties um, and that there isn't necessarily a set backcourt partner. Um, this is sort of uh, against Tibbs' substitution patterns. Or yeah, to, which is why I bring that up. <laughs> he likes to he likes to have set core groups, um, which makes some sense for young like young teams. You need them to build an identity. Um, you want them to to build a cohesion and everybody to get on the same page. Um, for a player like quickly, whose uh, chemistry can be a little more subtle, um, where you want him to have the right dynamic between uh, you know passing more in these lineups, creating more in these lineups, and shooting uh, off the uh, off the dribble and off the catch in these lineups. Um, you kind of want to bounce him around. Um, I have always been a proponent for Frank Nilakina, and I think that that lineup makes a lot of sense and have been shocked uh, at how reticent Tibbs has been to do it, considering um, that like I don't think El- Alfred Payton deserves the 
anywhere near the pencil that he currently carries. Um, but Tibbs's relationship to uh, guards has always been strange. Um, he kept, you know, Nate Rob in the league forever because Nate Rob did a thing, and like Tibbs likes knowing exactly what he's going to get from his guards. Um, so somebody like Frank, who who can struggle to be aggressive, is probably something that Tibbs, regardless of his defensive reputation, struggles to have confidence in. Uh, that being said, just like play the two of them together. Dude, there's not that much on the line, considering how bad some of these other guard pairings have been. Um, like Rose, Burks, Noel is you know at a 98 offensive rating. It's a small minute sample, but uh, uh, it's Rose, Burks, and Noel quickly. There's so many like bad offensive pairings um, that you can't convince me that uh, that Noah Kina quickly is is so awful that it doesn't bear uh, doesn't bear mentioning. You're uh, you're preaching to the choir on that one. Uh, wh- what have you seen from him defensively? Um, quickly, specifically defensively so far, because I, I feel like it's been somewhat of a mixed bag. And you you highlighted that in your article and, and just talked about how some of his freneticism, like sometimes it can be used for good. And he's like he's like tagging someone, and then he's sprinting out and he's getting a good contest, and he, he's like covering up for other people. And then other times, like he can just like bite hard on a pump fake and completely take himself out of a play. I, I liked it last night with Frank and maybe it might've just been because they were, they were playing the Kings and De'Aaron Fox just had a, a really weird, very, very turnover prone night. But I feel like quickly is like his, his like all around like speed and recognition played really well with Frank being able to cover for him a little bit and quickly could be a tiny bit more of like, uh, like Rottweiler, just like, just like running around the court and, and, and making plays and being a little bit more proactive, knowing that Frank was just going to be so solid next to him. But I, I ultimately think his long-term outlook is kind of defined. Is he someone who's just going to be relentlessly targeted on a really good playoff team or, or will he be able to hold his own in future playoff series? So, so what have you gotten from him so far on that front? Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and, of course, my favorite, reality TV. Real-time, updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's absolutely free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. All you have to do is use our promo code Locked On. That's one word, Locked On. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, guys, we'll be back for one final segment with the great PD Webb. But first, we're, we're touching on an area of his expertise, the Locked On NBA Draft podcast, Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs. How much do you really know about these potential NBA stars of tomorrow? If you read PD, probably quite a bit, but you got to supplement that somewhere. So if you want to know more, you need to subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast. Prospect scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Subscribe today and follow Locked On NBA Draft. Yeah, he looks like a promising rookie. Um, rookies are going to get targeted no matter what, um, unless they're Devin Vassell. Um so you have moments where he'll navigate navigate screens really well, and then he'll have times where he doesn't understand there's an action paired on top. Uh, I think in in the beats I, I clip a, a a very difficult Miami set where uh, he fights through a Bill Bow action and then realizes that he's supposed to be the the tagger on a on a bam pick and roll, and it leads to a bam dunk attempt. Um, that's just stuff that rookies have to have to learn is is that at times uh, in the NBA offenses will lull you to sleep where you think you're doing your job, and there's really another 
action paired on top of it. Um, I like him in a uh, in a scheme where Mitrov is fully activated, where he can cover ground, and you can get multiple people who can cover a lot of ground. It, it allows the freneticism to make more sense um, when you put him in lineups with guys who can't cover ground like Taj Gibson, um, who do their job, and that has its value. Uh, it doesn't make as much sense. Um, overall, I think that there's some promising signs, but expecting him to be uh, defensively solvent in in help side while he's playing these large uh, creation burden minutes on offense um, is going to be a recipe for disappointment for fans. Yeah, I uh, I wonder. It, this is another it kind of going down another tangent here, but based off reading your article, the the answer to this is pretty obvious to me. Um, I, I sort of know what you're going to say, but I just wonder if you would uh, uh, share it like for the sake of the listeners. Although, of course, I would recommend they go to your Patreon page and read it, the article on all the rookies that you put out. It was, what, uh, LaMelo Ball, Devin Vassell, uh, Quickly. Desmond Bain. Bain. And, and, and Malachi Flynn. And Malachi Flynn, correct. Yeah, uh, all, five, all, all former future Knicks. I was going to say five absolute darlings of ours from the pre-draft process, in large part due to some of the stuff you had written on them. Um, but what is your thought on the value of starting quickly uh you know i guess i guess this could be kind of an overall philosophy question but i, I you know i'll just spoil it in the article you had said you know don't uh, it, this was part of your addressing knicks fans as, as gavin was saying like you know don't fixate too much on getting quickly starting just focus on putting quickly in positions to succeed do you think there's any i mean we've we've gone through this for years as knicks fans like there's there was uh two years prior to this where we had mitchell robinson not starting. And, you know, we said, Hey, maybe Mitch should get starting reps because it's more important to have him out there, you know, to start the game and be used to playing against the best level of NBA competition that you see at the beginning and end of games, um, you know, and things of that nature. And there was, there was cases to be made for both because, you know, I think we're seeing it kind of bear out this year with how Mitch is playing that maybe letting him just kind of play where he was comfortable last year off the bench and, you know, feast on bench units and then still close games actually worked out pretty good for him. You know, he's he's performed really well now in his third year as the starter uh, as sort of a defensive anchor for this team. Uh, so I think there's cases to be made both ways, but I'm kind of curious if you want to like elaborate a little bit on, you know, you see more in the camp of like, don't worry about starting versus not starting, just kind of get him quality minutes and quality situations out there. So one of my development philosophies is different things affect different things differently, um, which is to say that if you want to develop a guy's feel, the best way to do that may not be playing them against the best offense, defensive players in the league. So if you're trying to teach someone how to read a tag man and, and how to pick apart a, a set defense, doing that against like you know uh, the Raptors defense, with their starters and, and dealing with, you know, their level of execution might not be helpful, but if you can go get their second unit and maybe make those decisions a little bit easier, maybe that accelerates your growth curve. Um, I think that a lot of times uh, exposure to great basketball can be damaging. People can get drowned in so much to learn and, and so much on them. Um, for a guy like, like quickly, I want him to not play any stupid minutes. Um, which is sort of a term that I have for lineups that don't make any sense where you're just asking somebody to run into a wall. There was famously a lot of this with Colin Sexton, his rookie year, 
where he would just play these lineups where you're like, why is this happening? Like, how did you decide these four players to put around a guy who, who has these very specific flaws and those flaws need to be worked on in a, in an environment where they can, you know, be experimented with, not with like, all right, just figure it out, kid. Um, so with quickly finding lineups, making sure that a hundred percent of his minutes are with either a secondary creator, uh, him as secondary creator or with a defined role within that five man unit, rather than saying, all right, go figure it out. Here's two non-shooters, uh, a rim roller and zero other people who can dribble, like go make this lineup work. That's not particularly helpful developmentally. And it's not particularly, he is not going to produce in a way that will help him on the next good Knicks team. So I, I guess that's, that's a natural transition into my next question. Looking into the future for Emmanuel quickly. Um, I, I think what most people highlight when they talk about like how he could hit a ceiling is, is his ability to like get to the rim and finish creatively and, and show off a lot of dexterity around the basket. But I, I'm kind of curious about what the outlook is for his mid-range game is, as you noted, at this point in his basketball life, like the floater is, is really the main weapon he has there. Sometimes he gets guys to just run into him and he'll, he'll draw a foul. But generally, um, you'd like to see a little bit more diversity. And, and to me, like the, the logical answer there is like, all right, like, will he will he eventually have a pull up game? And, and the, the fly in the ointment with that one is seems to be a slow release in that it feels like he's, he's a long way off from being like a CJ McCollum type total killer in that range, un- unless he could one day speed up his release. So do you think that's a necessity for him hitting his ceiling as a scorer is that something that's just never going to be part of his game or or what what have you seen from him on that front given that it's a shot he essentially hasn't taken in the NBA so far I think some of it is his release um and that will come with time my bigger concern with him is uh not needing to get crafty like his issue is that he struggles to win simple at the rim um he needs to put somebody in jail and tag in and out and then, you know, force the defense to make a decision. Um, he's incapable of putting his head down and, and just going and getting fouled. Um, a lot of his uh, free throw rate is just high level craft, which is a fantastic thing to have, but a very troubling thing to need. So I would say that the thing that I would be looking out for most is, is how his physicality develops and how he is able to take advantage when a direct angle is presented to the rim and his ability to get simple looks. You know, it's really funny. That was you're you've done a really good job of mind reading my follow up questions uh, to these because, like inside baseball, Gavin had written down the mid range question, and then I said, "Yeah, also how how would his ability to get to the rim? You know, how is that going to affect affect his you know long term future in the NBA?" Um, <laughs> I guess my spin that I'll put on that, even though you just sort of addressed it a little bit, is you know I think that. I think there's a legitimate case to say that quickly has real NBA star upside. Um, A lot of things are going to have to fall in place for him to be able to develop the consistency. And part of that is what you're talking about where he, and you wrote about this in your article too, that he shouldn't have to rely on the floater so much. Like his whole, nobody in the NBA's offense is really built around a floater. And we've seen sort of the disastrous, effects of that in recent weeks where, you know, quickly before last night's game, you know, if we were recording this uh, prior to last night, we would probably be talking about, yeah, like it's been really concerning these last few games that when quickly's floater isn't going down, the rest of his game just kind of starts to fall apart. 
um, because that floater is what he uses to really keep defenses honest. So I guess my main thing, when I look at him physically, I, I do struggle to see a world where he can grow in such a way that he'll be more effective getting inside and drawing contact and being able to in particular finish through that contact. You know, I, I think he's pretty crafty, but for one thing, when you're, when you're kind of on the frail side, you avoid contact in the NBA because it hurts more to get beat up by these huge guys. If you're not big enough yourself. Uh, but then for two, you know, not having that strength also takes away his ability to finish through that contact. And, that's a pretty valuable weapon to have is being able to, you know, not only draw fouls, but also draw and ones, you know, which we see a lot of the most effective guys in the league, you know, like the James Hardens of the world are able to do that because they just have that strength to kind of pull the ball into themselves, step right into the trees and then go up for a layup and have the strength to, you know, finish it afterwards too. So uh, uh, just getting a little long winded, but basically my, my question is like, do you think that, physically quickly has that in him you know i there was very easy paths i think for some past Knicks draft picks to bulk up like i i looked at frank milikina um kevin knox mitchell robinson and realistically i was able to envision like okay yeah it's not going to take too much for these guys to get up to nba body levels you know and frank is there in spades knox is there in spades mitch Maybe some people thought that the his high hips would be a detriment, sort of like how it is with Obi Toppin. But all in all, I always thought that his upper and lower body looked physically, you know, able to put on weight. And he had the wide shoulders and everything else, too. With quickly, I noticed the wide shoulders, but I, I don't really see a ton of room to improve his body enough there. So this is maybe getting a little too much into like, I don't know, like physiology or whatever. But um what, what's your opinion on that? Like, do you think that he does have both the the physical and the skill abilities to add that, you know, inside game to his game? Or do you think that the floater is kind of going to be something that he relies on long term? It's important to note that physical development doesn't just necessarily mean like putting on uh, gains. Uh, there are multiple axes for quickly to improve physically, uh, one of which is explosiveness. The other one is movement skills. And we also have just like pure strength level. Um, so like quickly isn't necessarily super explosive. He's a good mover, but he's not a great mover. And he's a little bit on the frail side. He doesn't need to become, you know, uh, Kevin Porter Jr. in terms of strength level or movement skills. But if he can get a little bit better in each area, that will constitute a very large development. So because there is gr- growth in all three directions uh, of his physicality, he can get better. And I don't think he's a guy who's going to show up one day um, and look like a football player. But I do believe that he can start to move better, that he can get more explosiveness so that there is more separation on his moves. And then just to add, you know, a bit more grown man weight will bring will get him a lot farther. And because he has so much of a threat um, with his shooting, there's not that much further to go. He just needs to manipulate defenses, you know, another foot or another six inches to get space to find an angle. So he's never going to win straight up with physicality, but getting to the point where he can win around physicality would be a huge success. Are there any other skills we haven't talked about yet that really stand out to you with him? Like I I've loved his ability to just 
be like pretty pristine on lobs. I think it stands out because the rest of the Knicks guards are, are particularly poor in that capacity. Um, some of the passes he's made just in general have, have really impressed me over the last few weeks. He started to pull out like just more like just purely operating from a standstill, being able to generate a three out of thin air, basically like going behind the legs or going between the legs twice and then stepping back. And it, it seems like he is all these little like pet moves that he's, he's clearly put hours and hours into behind the arc and, he, and he's hitting guys with it. And it's almost like the defender enters like a temporary state of paralysis. And they're like, what? I, I had no idea this guy could do this. So is, is there something else? And maybe it was something you saw from him in college or something that's just emerged now in the NBA that's really stood out to you that we haven't covered yet. I think the passing is interesting. I mean, what's an alley but a floater that's off by a foot. Mm. Um, the passing he has moments of good passing when an opportunity presents itself. He's capable of picking out good reads, but he's not developed enough at manipulating players into creating those windows. So a lot of times teams and like the Rockets did this, I think the worst where they just sat on every pick and roll. They didn't let anybody help more than two steps away because they wanted to force him to manipulate these defenders. And he struggled with it. Like when teams would overhelp, he could pick out, you know, a, a skip pass or he could pick out a lob. But the next development that I'm most interested in from him is manipulating defenders into making mistakes. Like this is Halliburton's greatest skill. And not to compare them, but it's just a thing that Halliburton happens to be incredible at is that he just stares at defenders and says, okay, make one of these two choices. And then whichever one you pick, he, he throws the ball the opposite way. Um, that's a skill that will come, you know, with time and, and pick and roll operation reps. But it's a thing that I've seen flashes of, but to make the star upside make sense, that has to be something that he gets down pat. Is there kind of piggybacking on that train of thought and the and that question? Is there any skill with IQ right now that you watch in these first uh, I don't know how many games total he's at now twenty five, twenty seven, something like that that you watch since he's entered the NBA and and you just kind of makes you go, wow, all right, like nobody else is really doing that in the league right now. It, the sort of analogous thing I'm thinking of is like when we talk about Mitchell Robinson. We talk about and you know totally different position, so it's it, you know it's kind of a moot point in a way. But uh, with Mitch, we talk about all the time like his ability to switch on to someone at the perimeter, and you know as a rim running rim protector, he is able to switch out onto the perimeter and defend guys credibly from three, and you know block their shots and everything else. And that sort of seems like a a skill that not many people have in the NBA, at least not at the level that he has it. Is there anything that you see from IQ that kind of makes you say like, wow, this is this is like a skill that he is already doing at a level that very few guys in the NBA can do. And he's 20 some odd games into his career. Uh, this probably portends pretty well for his future. I don't think it's on the same level as uh, Mitchell Robinson's ability to, to, to block jumpers. Um, but the level that IQ understands what he is, is pretty special. Um, he's learned how to win in the NBA and how he specifically can win. I feel like with a lot of young guys, there's still the experimentation of what's possible. And uh, quickly has been like, no, I win with like hypercraft and pick and roll. I win with floaters and I win with never missing free throws ever. And that he is lasered in on how he's going to be a productive pro rather than worrying about like what his personal identity is. Um, is a, is a maturity that leads me to believe that he's going to be a very good 
NBA player for a long time, um, whether that manifests itself into, uh, you know, the upper, upper tier of outcomes. But like, I'm extremely confident that like, this isn't a mirage just because of the ability to uh, become what he needs to be in terms of uh, everyday work and, and how to represent that on the floor. This is uh, maybe somewhat analogous to asking what his long-term ceiling is, but where do you think he ultimately tops out as a three-point shooter? Do you think he reaches that Dame or Trey Young tier of subsisting on a diet of a pretty high degree of difficulty threes and still hovering around 37, 38% despite taking those shots uh, on really high volume? And maybe I'm probably underrating Dame a little by putting him in that category because the ones he's making now are just, I mean, it's like top five shooter all time type of stuff. But I, I know you noted in your article that as well as he shot the three, like hovering right around 37%, um, that arguably like underrates his true shooting ability because some of the shots have been so difficult, like he had either late in the shot clock or, or near half court. And on, on a better team with more threats, getting easier looks, he's probably a 40% guy. But if he either has to carry this load out of necessity because of a poor roster, or if he just gets good enough that even on a good roster, he says, you know what, it makes sense for me to pull up from 28 feet two or three times a game, do you think he can be that guy eventually? Can he be? Most likely. Uh, if he's taking those shots in two years, it's a failure of the roster. Um, because he is a better shooter uh, as an off-ball player, um, as, a, as a secondary creator who can take those shots, than he is as a guy who should be expected as a part of his everyday diet to make those shots. Um, the The there's times where you can just watch the, the lineup that he's in and be like, there's going to be two very deep step backs that are required here because there's not really an option to score. Otherwise, like if the defense doesn't break down and give them something easy, he's going to have to, uh, you know, take shots that are, you know, nines or tens on the difficulty scale. Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily an indictment of his abilities. That's just not what you want any good shooter to do is take tough shots. Um, so I would, as much as, um, it can be frustrating playing with Rose has gotten him easier shots um, and playing with Randall has gotten easier shots. Again, the, the ability to get to those lineups for the Knicks right now, the ones that make perfect sense to maximize his abilities are a little bit tougher um, and especially tougher on, on somebody like Tibbs who seems to have an idea of how he'd like to play um, that I don't necessarily agree with, but yeah, there's certainly uh, a, a strong possibility that he uh, is a 40, like I would expect him to be a 40% three point shooter for multiple years in his career, right? like without a doubt. All right, guys, I'm sorry to say, but that is it today with PD. We hope you enjoyed this deep dive on Emmanuel quickly. I know I did, and I, I got a better feel for how good he is right now and what his long-term trajectory ultimately is. But if you enjoy PD on the podcast as much as I do, then don't despair because we are going to have him right back on Thursday to go a little bit of a wider scope. Uh, what rookie he would have taken outside of the top 10 in the draft or, or rather, what rookie outside of the top 10 in the draft that he has enjoyed the most this year? Uh, the candidates are a couple of guys that, uh, spoiler, we, we may or may not have been advocating for the Knicks to take um, at one or two of their picks. And uh, the other question gets really interesting. We wanted to know if he could add one guy from the 2021 draft outside of Cade Cunningham to the Knicks, who would it be and why? I'll give you another hint on that one. It is a name that has come up on this podcast before. You want to find out who it is and you want to hear more from PD, tune in on Thursday next time or in two episodes on Locked On. Thanks.